Hello and welcome to the 116th episode of the Hulkcast. I'm James Rushton and I'm joined by Jack Grimsey who returns to the Hulkcast after a small hiatus. How are you doing Jack? Great James and yeah returned to the villa after a small hiatus yesterday. I think Nottingham Forest was the first match I, I watched since Hull which maybe was the, the last Hulkcast. It definitely was the last Hulkcast I was on but yeah I think yeah. it was the last villa match I watched as well and wow it's it's back to the old times. Villa actually won but it was scary. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, pretty pretty uh, squeaky on those seats. I was edging closer and closer to the edge of it as the uh, match drawn on. Uh, Villa fighting back from uh, going a goal well e- from an equaliser, something different. They usually settle for the one-one, but they scored again, and they took the win. We'll talk about that later on, anyway, Jack. But how have Villa come since? Uh, come on, since that whole game. Ah, uh, you know it's it, it was down, but I think trending back up. What, it's now six league matches without a loss? Yeah, it doesn't seem like that, no, which no. is weird. It seems worse. Uh, but no, we can't complain about that. A six-game unbeaten one's nothing to sniff at. It's just a uh, shame that two of those game unbeaten games were those nil-nil draws where Villa could have nicked something, especially against Middlesbrough, where Adama Traore was sent off uh, within minutes of appearing back on Villa Park turf. What do you think about that red card, Jack? Yeah, I, I did not watch. I was only following along on Twitter, and I, I saw that four or five minutes in, he Adama was sent off, and I was like, what? And, you know, playing with, with Adama and your team and 11 men is not too much different than playing with 10. He just takes up a little more space, but he's still Villa at home. You have to get a result. Exactly. Um, Villa went, for the most part, unbeaten at home last season, and they're continuing in that vein this season. They still haven't lost at home despite those big losses against Cardiff and Reading away. Did you catch any of that at all? I don't suppose you did watch it, but do you uh, get any feelings from Twitter about those two, those big losses? Yeah, Cardiff Cardiff was a, a little bit on Periscope, I think I saw, right? And Because I don't think no. it was televised, so I don't know. I, I don't really remember. It's been a blur. But three losing 3-0 to Cardiff, and I know they're good this year, but it's still just based on how they've been playing lately. You have to get a point. I think if you're Villa, you have to, you should be getting a point at least from every match. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, with your new job and everything, you should be watching. Or maybe, maybe, maybe not getting getting a point, but in contention to get a point. Not don't lose three. Yeah, you've got to just at least play the game of football and try and do something, right? Yeah, yeah. So and then and then Reading. I mean, it, it's that's what happens in the championship. You can get beaten by anyone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Villa have come out well. Cardiff have come out the best of those games. They're still at the upper echelons of the championship, but Reading have fallen apart. It looks like Villa, though, are you know, resurgent after that uh, 3-0 win away at Barnsley last Sunday. I don't think you've seen much of Keenan Davis apart from yesterday, but what do you think of him up front, the young lad? No, I've, I've been excited by him. He got called up right, He got called up uh, like a, a month and a half yeah, ago. To England as well. For the, U, for the U18s, yeah. Yeah. Um... It's it's great. It's great. That's what I expect to see. I have no problem with Villa going down to the championship if they were going to play the youth. So if if it was all players like Keenan Davis, I'm in favor of that. If we were stuck in the division but playing youngsters, that's good for the future of the club. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, we saw Keenan Davis come to the spotlight, really. I think we imagined that maybe Grealish, Hepburn, Murphy and Andre Green would take up that spotlight. But Davis has really made it his own. Um, if you've seen much of Davis, what do you think his best qualities are? Um, I think, I mean, it's it's not really one of his qualities, but I think what helps him is that the opposition don't know much about him. 
of course, the fear so, of the unknown. Unexpected element, yeah. I mean, obviously, as a, a youngster, you're not going to be able to go the full 90 minutes that often. Yesterday, he was subbed off on 72, but... You know, he has he has good pace and he's he's willing he doesn't fall over easily. He's willing to try to give his effort, not trying to con the referee and as we saw yesterday he's he's obviously not good at it. The referee didn't didn't um Yeah, he didn't argue give a foul when he went down. Didn't argue. Yeah, no, and he doesn't argue either. That's good. Yeah, um what I gather from Davis is he's very intelligent. Um, which is very surprising for a youth player because you see some stupidity. Well, not stupidity. It's a bit harsh, but it's naivety. naivety from maybe Jack Grealish. Uh, when he's playing a game, he thinks he can maybe do a little bit more than he can do. But with Davis, I think he knows his or selfishness. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, with Davis, I think he knows his limits. I think he knows what he's good at, and he sticks to. He knows how to use his weight. He knows how to use his uh, athleticism, and he knows how to, you know. He's very smart when it comes to link-up play, and that's brilliant to see from someone who's, you know, not even a thousand minutes into his uh, senior career at the moment, which is uh, the sky's the limit for players like that who are so intelligent at such a young age, I feel. Yeah, yeah, and like you're saying, I think a little bit of, of that is the the nerves. He's probably always going to try to play it to his teammates' strong foot and try to concentrate on setting up his teammates more than going it alone. You know, and, and look at Jonathan Koja. Why wouldn't you pass the ball to him and have him try to run past three, four defenders like he did in winning that free kick that won us the match? Exactly. Uh, this time last year when we were playing Nottingham Forest, I think it was under Di Matteo, we were up 2-0, weren't we? And then it collapsed, if you remember. Oh, man, I've, I've tried to erase that from my memory, <laughs> but I do remember it because I was still excited about Villa's prospects of going back up when Di Matteo was the boss last year. It was so yeah, early. It was- it was one of those matches where I think we put on every striker. I think we had just that was that was what made us get Lansbury, yeah, because yeah, he scored, he scored was, that in that last minute goal. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, then he became team developer and he's average now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh, fallen off the face of the earth apparently. And after that red card in, I think it was against Borough, that red card. Yeah, yeah, like it was 55, a strange one that was. Yeah. Uh, we beat Nottingham Forest yesterday two one. Jack, how do you feel coming off the back of a? Uh, I mean, it's not an entirely deserved win, is it? No, if you have 33% of the ball, I think you have to say a little bit of it was against the run of play. Like our first goal, um, before that, Forrest were playing better. But they'll end up scoring and they show resiliency. You know, you can be getting punched punched the whole game, but you throw the haymaker and you win. And that's how it goes a lot of the times in the championship when teams can't necessarily finish off all their chances. Johnson was good. And I think what's important is two wins from two. That's that's huge. Just starting to turn yeah. it around at the right time. Because then you have Burton, Bolton, Wol- and Wolves. You know, Wolves are good now. So that's a yeah. Uh, Kanye West fixed Wolves. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think George Mendes fixed Wolves to to tell you the truth. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, um, we've got. I wouldn't say it's a too tough um, spat of games coming up. I feel that Burton's quite tricky and Wolves is obviously quite tricky, but you have to get that win at Bolton. No matter what happens at Burton or Wolves, you have to get those wins at home. I feel that the Burton match is especially tricky because um, they've got a real attitude up there in Burton of if you come down here and try to play direct attacking football in the Pirelli Stadium, we'll knock your teeth out. And I've done that to Fulham and Birmingham so far. So after that win, what I'd look for Villa to do is go to Burton and at least try and grab the draw because... Uh, Burton aren't the scariest team in the championship, Jack, obviously. But they have uh, delivered two knockout blows to two pretty big teams. You know, Birmingham aren't doing too well, but 
they're a team you'd expect to beat Burton like Villa and uh, go in there and expect them to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But exactly. It's, at this point, it's keep the run going. If you get a point away from home, there's nothing wrong with that. I'll take that any day of the week. Uh, a lot of people will insult Burton in a way by saying that they are not the most gifted team. And they're not. They're not the most tactically smart team. And they're not. Yeah, I mean, they don't They don't have $100 million to spend on their squad. I don't know how you can criticize them for that. They, they do what they can with what they have. They stay in the league. And however they... I mean, it's not like Villa play... Pep Guardiola football. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it'll be tough uh, on Tuesday, Tuesday night going up there. But I'm uh, very galvanised after that win. I feel the team should be as well. Uh, winning like that makes you feel good, I feel. Um, sometimes you want the you know those blowouts of 6 or 7 nil. Sometimes you want those 3 nils where you see a hat-trick. But seeing a 2-1 where you don't entirely deserve that result, it does feel good. It feels like you stole something. And, <laughs> you know, it... Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think it's what how you can chalk it up to is the just the individual quality there were just three moments of brilliance really the doma his goal obviously uh Koja on that run that won the free kick and then hurahan putting it in the back of the net you know it's like villa, villa have the stars that keeper really should yeah have yeah he should have but yeah jordan smith i guess for for nine and us but villa had the stars and that's kind of why they i mean daryl murphy that was that was a good goal he had and he could have had another maybe yeah, uh, I think Sam Johnson saved it with his crotch, and it just ban- it just trickled wide, didn't it? When he was through on goal, oh my, that was that was a nervous you one. Didn't see, you didn't see a replay of it at the stadium, but it, I don't know how that w- hit. I think it hit his heel and rolled all the way across the face of the goal and to safety for a corner. Yeah, it looked like it was going in from my angle, and you just you just see everyone stop, and it's like ah, uh, it's gone in, hasn't it? And it just trickles <laughs> wide, and the relief, the satisfaction on that. And, uh, I think we should uh, speak about Sam Johnson, Jack, because I don't think he was a player that uh, you or Robert were a particularly big fan of when we brought him in, considering we had uh, Pierluigi Gallini at the start. But I think he's really coming onto his own now. He's uh, really dominating that goalkeeper position at Villa. He's making those big, big, big saves, and that can't be said enough. And he's uh, really marshalling that back line in a way we have not seen since maybe Brad Friedel all those years ago. Yeah, I'm definitely more than happy to apologize again to Sam Johnson because uh, originally, I have to say, I got that one wrong. Uh, he's come in, he's been good. The The only thing is, I wish we owned him permanently. You know, I don't want him to go to United and then lose money on him or something, but I wish he could just stay around Avila at this point. Yeah, he's a incredible keeper. Um, he's not maybe the smartest, but when... It's just the confidence he has now. It's more so the confidence and the cockiness he has to know what he can get away with with his back four. And, you know, you see him bossing John Terry around on the pitch. If I saw him and John Terry in the back alley, I would, I would just turn around and run. I know they wouldn't catch up to me, but if I ran into them, I would be over. I would just turn yeah. the other way. I mean, how, and speaking about John Terry, how do you feel about him so far at Villa? Because we, we're catching up after all of the, all of those weeks. How has he come on at Villa for you? Yeah, he's, he's pretty much been fine. I think the commentator yesterday summed it up really well. He's enjoying the physical challenges of the championship. And I guess I didn't really think about that as much. But with the way this league is, I think John Terry is a decent defender to have back there. He has all the experience in the world, so... I mean, he's he sees things coming maybe before they they do because his reactions are a little bit slower. So that's okay. And the one-on-one uh, physical tussle with a, a striker, he's not going to yeah, lose. Yeah, exactly. I think he's really. It was a bit shaky at the start, maybe, but I think he's really 
turn that position around. A yeah, bit. yeah. Was, he, he hadn't practiced with this team, you know. He's yeah. Half the reason for great teams is they're playing together for one, two, three years. You know the Juventus backline that just is not is no longer. But uh, those guys were together for years. Yeah, and while uh, Aston Villa can't command the presence of one Leonardo Benucci, they do have James Chester, and he's not bad either, is he? No, Maybe no. not Benucci style, but he's not. He's no. Uh, he's no dud, Jack. No, and he's he's no Lescott either, and that's really <laughs> really what it comes down to is just eliminating players that are going to be a problem in the dressing room and also problematic on the pitch. So, I mean, Steve Bruce is, is finding the right mix. I know I've been seeing Bruce out in, in past weeks, but at, at this point, I think you kind of have to stick with him and he's getting some results now, so we just have to hope it can keep improving. So you say it's good to stick with Steve Bruce, and I totally agree. I think he has earned his stripes now after all that criticism that rightly came in. He has given some proof that he's able to do the job, he's able to marshal his team. But do you think there was any legitimacy to any Bruce out feelings among the fan base? Yeah, I do. And I, I still can see why people would be holding on to the sentiments because we're not playing great football. You know, if you're just looking at the stats, Villa had 36, 36.1% of the possession yesterday. If, if you look at passes, Villa 344 passes, for 616. You know, it's... Villa have these very skilled players, or should in midfield, maybe Glenn Whelan's not a pass master, but they should be a team that can dominate the opposition by outplaying them simply because they have better players. I think that's fair to say. You know, we we spent the money, you should have that there. So, after all this money's been spent, I'd like you to name your most disappointing Aston Villa player so far. In the team, regardless of if they were bought this year. I mean, one, one, one that we bought. Oh, no, I was just going to yeah. say Alan Hutton, just on the fact that he's still around. I'd go for Glenn Whelan, I think. He's calm, he's great, but it's not that he's disappointing. It's just that teams are really that onto him. He's too easy to exploit. Um, he's too calm on the ball. It's very predictable. Yeah. Very predictable. Um, there was one point in the Nottingham Forest match yesterday where I think he, he waited impossibly long for the ball to come to him and it was just taken off him like taking candy from a baby it was just from what I saw in the whole end it looked like the ball was traveling to him for five minutes and it felt like that and they just took it off him and he was just he, he stood still after it was took after him just put his hands in the air and I'm not sure you you buy players like Glenn Whelan for that intelligence and that leadership and none of it really shows it's not like I'll go back again to Benucci at Milan, who was brought in for that leadership and experience, and he will grab the match and his players literally by the neck. And Glenn Whelan just kind of holds his hands up and he's like, why me? Sort of relative, why always me? Um, Glenn Whelan's my disappointment, Jack. Do you think that's fair at all to say? Yeah, yeah, certainly. And players like Glenn Whelan, I think if you get them on a free transfer, they're fine. But at 33 and his legs are gone, you know, I don't know how, how much pace he had to begin with but I don't think he has too much left like you're saying he had to wait for the ball you knew he wasn't gonna do much if he had to run and get it and do something but yeah I mean it's just 33 is old yeah it's a shame because it is relatively it's young in football terms you're uh, heading for the retirement home aren't you yeah I mean when there's clubs like like Leipzig that won't buy anyone that's over than 20 older than 24 you have to kind of start looking at that. You know, John Terry, 36, but he was free. You just can't give give uh, Stoke any money for a player they were probably trying to get rid of anyway. 
Yeah, and turning that around since we last spoke, who has been the AVFC player who has impressed you the most? I think Josh Onomar has been fantastic. Really? Wow. Yeah, I mean, just yesterday wasn't the best, but just the fact that we bring in a player like that and are are giving him the chance. But I don't know. El Mahomedy has been good. Hurahane, obviously fantastic. And I don't know, I guess probably Keenan Davis, I guess is probably who you're going to say. I guess I haven't really seen that much of him. I'm going to go for Albert Adoma. Oh, yeah, that was obvious. <laughs> obvious but um, I think Albert Adoma really brings, even in, uh, you know, when you lose, it's like he doesn't care. It's like, not like he doesn't care in the Lesca and Richards manner. It's like it doesn't phase him or affect him at yeah, all. Yeah, He's he just there to won't. play football. Doesn't get depressed, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's like Kodger, I think you see Jonathan Kodger in the same manner as Benteke and all those great Villa forwards before him get visibly frustrated at not being able to win every game or not being able to get to that shot or being caught offside. But Adoma quite literally doesn't care. He's not the type of player who will get into a fight. He's not the type of player that will lunge into a 2 footed tackle based on pure passion. He won't get caught up in a situation. He plays football like a pickup game in a park. And that's really, really, really good to see. Especially, I mean, if you, if I, any kid is listening to this podcast, I think, and you want to be a footballer, I say look at Albert Adoma, who doesn't. It's like he's not bothered about anything around him; like he's in another dimension, almost. And that's incredible to see. Yeah, yeah, kind of a model professional, I guess. And and Snodgrass has been solid, but yeah. I mean, with Snodgrass, a lot of people were saying he was terrible yesterday, and I didn't see that at all. I didn't, I didn't see him I, being I terrible. That. I saw an article, I think it was on Football Fancast or one of these sites that kind of collates the tweets. And a lot of people were kind of saying, you know, it was a terrible performance. It was a 5 out of 10. It was a 2 out of 10, stuff like that. And I didn't see that. I saw some quality crosses and I saw a bit of a bit of moxie, a bit of grift. Uh, graft, sorry, not grift. Uh, grit and graft, that's what I'm on about. Going and uh, tracking back and getting those balls. Same with Kodger as well. He, it was like a new a new age of Jonathan Kodger where he's going to win win a ball like Ayu. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, uh, Snodgrass, Snodgrass had he attempted five crosses, and by up to statistics, he he was judged to have put in two good crosses. Both of them were from open play, and Adoma attempted seven crosses and all from open play, and none of them were judged as a good cross. Yeah, and exactly it's like our bias we see after that match as a Doma being this re- revelation on the pitch. That's true. But uh, at the end of the day, it was Snodgrass who was putting those quality balls across yeah, the, and, and, the what Those lethal ones. That could and be it's deceptive to. because if you look at pass accuracy, Adoma had 88% and Snodgrass was only 53 So yeah, he wasn't he wasn't passing as much. He was trying to get him into the, into the area. But yeah, I'd have to look at it a little more to see how... How effective he really was passing, I guess, Snodgrass. Yeah, um, I still see a dome. I don't know why he wasn't in you know, around the team. Um, some people have been telling me that maybe Bruce didn't favour him, kind of the same situation with Scott Hogan, where he's just on the wings of the side. But I think after last season, where he put in 10 assists for Aston Villa, which is no small number of assists, I don't think he should have been on the bench at all or in the reserves. Should have been on the pitch. With yeah, the first yeah team. No, without a doubt. And the thing is, for I mean, for a league like the championship, you're going to have to rotate heavily. 
though stockpiling is definitely oh, a good yeah. thing. But yeah, it's about how to get the most out of those guys. Yeah, uh, are you good, glad to see Jonathan Codger back from in- injury? Yeah, yeah, it's it gives me hope that Villa actually can do something this season because you saw the kind of a slow start, but then you go oh, without the star striker. Yeah, that that kind of makes sense. I don't know why I worded it that way because it's of course you're going to be glad to see Jonathan Codger come back. I mean, I guess you were saying how how excited. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, a lot of criticism goes to his way for being greedy, and. I look at the last match and I don't see how anyone can kind of come to that opinion where he, you know, he played that ball in for a domer, which led to the first goal. After that, he can be as yeah. big as he wants. I feel you've you've set up a teammate. You've done your job more more so than anyone else in the team has. Yeah, he assisted a goal and and basically assisted the second goal by winning the free kick. He exactly he held off two defenders. Finally, ended up being brought down and. He said, "Oh, I don't need to take this." He wasn't being a Neymar to Cavani, you know. Didn't or yeah. What if what if <laughs> Al Mohamedi came in and and took the ball, or Glenn Whelan takes the ball and says, "I'm giving this to James Chester to take." <laughs> it was <laughs> um, absolutely. it was like at the end of last season against Brighton when Bakuna wanted to take the free kick and Hurahan just took the ball off him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's how it should be because Hurahan can throw those. It's a less pro- high profile. Cavani and Neymar, Hirohan and Bakuna, I feel. <laughs> yeah, all, oh all around from that Forest match, Jack, feelings. Um, are you mainly positive going into this Burton game or are you feeling negative? Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's certainly really positive because in years past, I feel like Villa would have at least conceded the equaliser. Even if, like you said, we looked at the game last year, they did concede that equaliser, making it 2-2. Yeah, I mean, we did go 1-1 down, and we were very extremely lucky not to go 2-1 down, as we said, after that Johnson save. The thing is, Villa conceded and immediately sprung back into the game, like they've never done before, and that's incredibly exciting to see. I can't say that enough. At Villa too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's what it's what you should do. I mean, it was a bit of, after halftime. Villa weren't looking bad at that early in the second half. I think later on it was scarier, but there were moments for Forrest and that goal comes in from Daryl Murphy and yeah, like you said, a response. That's what you want to see because in years past, maybe Villa would have gone flat and conceded a second or a third at that point. Well, exactly as you said, we saw that last year, didn't we, in the, the reverse fixture? Well, not the reverse fixture, the identical fixture. We saw Villa just flop after uh, being two goals up. And um, the problem with Villa is I think they seem to fall asleep at half time. And there was a sense of that, but uh, thankfully they managed to wake up. Maybe they need to drink more Carabao or whatever <laughs> out in the locker room. Well, they're, they're not in the cup anymore, so they won't be getting any free, uh, yeah, yeah. free shipments of Carabao. Well, <laughs> well, the FA Cup better get sponsored by something. Yeah, hopefully an energy drink or any oh, Pro Plus or any caffeine tablets about that can wake up this Villa team. But they don't see yeah, what they need. Recon group, what does Recon Group make in that uh, in that I, market? I don't know. <laughs> I know it is it, it if it's I think it's uh, in China or Hong Kong. It is the Riri Kang Group and their pharmaceuticals and energy and health products like aloe vera gels and all that. So maybe yeah, Tony Shark can link his Villa team up with some uh, that mad pharmaceutical. New age caffeine stuff to keep them awake. Yeah, I mean, if Vardy drinks Red Bull before the game, then, you know, there's going to be something healthier than that. Well, that's because he's a tramp, not, not because he wants to stay up. It's because he's got no, nothing else to do. <laughs> probably vodka in it as well, knowing Jamie Vardy. No, no, yeah, I think probably port or I don't know what he drinks it. 
need <laughs> out to support the night before the game so you can fall asleep. In a brown plastic bag, a brown paper bag. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. As long as Villa players don't shoot the penalties down the center. Oh yeah, um, that was incredible. He kind of shot the three penalties down the center in a row. Mm-hmm. How, how do you not know that? Been a, the striker of such prestige as Jamie Vardy. I'm making that mistake. Prestige and predictability, I guess. <laughs> yeah, prestige comes. Uh, predictability must come with prestige. Uh, Speaking of prestige, I know we've spoken a bit about Burton Albion. Um, they're not very prestigious, Jack. So when we head to them on Tuesday, do we expect, or should we expect Villa to rattle them by 10, 15 goals? Well, they've, 15 they've, shots. they've conceded 15 <laughs> this season. So that's, uh, that... I don't know, that's about, th- I think, tied for second worst in the division. Uh, I guess, but with with they're Forrest, unbeaten. With, no, sorry, they're, they are unbeaten at home. Yeah. Oh, that's true. And I mean, I mean, if Burton come to Villa Park, you expect to beat them or batter them. But going there is a different story. It's not like you're saying, "Oh, it's a cup tie," but it may as well be. It may as well be when you verse like the postman, and that's no disrespect to me, but it's, to them. But it's like you know when you get those cup ties, and it's just like, oh god, like when we had Wickham. You just know that it's it's not going to turn out the way you want it to. Yeah, yeah, that was that was sad. But you're right. Un, unbeaten at home, unbeaten at home, and uh, in I just saw that they were battered by Leeds five <laughs> 0 and that's kind of gave me some some hope that Villa could do something similar. Uh, yeah, I think they look to spring a good counter at home. Um, Birmingham were caught unawares by that, and Fulham as well. And Fulham are you know Fulham are quality, Joker, yeah. team. They're a good team, and so it's not just Redknapp fucking <laughs> up. It's Jokinovic being caught out as well. It was a, the, the tweet expect... about Redknapp, sorry. It was someone said it's like you hire someone to paint your house and they paint it and you let it, you look at it for 20 minutes and then you fire them. No, it was like you buy someone to paint your house and they buy 20,000 gallons of paint and do nothing and then you fire them because they did nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the reaction in Birmingham. About from what I've seen has been kind of a a, a a bit of disgust at how Redknapp's been treated, but I guess that's because it's Harry Redknapp and no one treats Redknapp like that. I guess in that gold cartel way, no one no one ever escapes the clutches of Harry Redknapp. I guess. Yeah. But Burton should be a win. I'm feeling hopeful of that. Moving on to Bolton next Saturday at 3 p.m. Villa Park. That should yeah, there's no reason they don't have a win all season. They should get. There's, if their first win of the season comes at Villa Park against Aston Villa, then I'll be back on the Bruce out train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's unavoidable. There'll be no, no joke about that. That's serious because you know we are early in the season, but every win now is critical, especially if you're playing Bolton, a, a team in such an, in dire form as Bolton. Phil Parkinson's Bolton. Um, they had a transfer embargo, so they haven't even been able to buy anyone who's not on a free or a half season. Yeah, yeah, though. it's not that it's hard. It's really hard for them. You can't blame them for being the position that they're in. That's just why you have to beat them down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, incredibly difficult to say that um, Villa should pour on a misery for Bolton, but they have to to ensure their own promotion to the Premier League. And uh, any loss now, especially when you can pick up those three points, because it's not going to be, you know. Mi- against Wolves, Middlesbrough, Fulham, those tabletop and teams or Cardiff, it's against Bolton who are rock bottom and don't look like they're capable of doing anything. That's not for lack of trying, it's just because circumstances that grant you championship success are not in their hands at all. 
Yeah, if they had Villa's budget, they might be top. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, Phil Parkinson's. <laughs> we know Phil Parkinson's a good manager because he masterminded Bradford kicking us out the League Cup. <laughs> we know that. Oh, God, he, he has our number. <laughs> yeah, he does have our number, and uh, that's why I'm wary. I think we should win. But again, it's that same Burton Albion thing where a team will look to... If you look to force the football down their throat and score six, they'll turn you around and they won't have any of it because it's just it's seen as disrespect, I guess. It's like running up the score in American football. You can't do that in soccer, but if you try, you're going to get turned over. It's seen as disrespect. Yeah, or kicked in the face. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's another thing we've got to watch out for is that I think Aston Villa is seen as the prima donnas of the championship. They are seen as a excessively rich team and you know our stadium doesn't help we've got a massive stadium we play with the most expensive team assembled in the championship bar Middlesbrough um we have a highly paid manager and we have got a rich owner um any team that is in a misfortune sees us as the enemy as they would do it's a, it becomes almost political in a way yeah it's really it's really easy to fire up the team if you're the boss in that situation so these guys make 10 times as much as you and they're they're shite let's go kick them you know yeah, almost any given Sunday type of attitude, the type of attitude yeah. that sees Neil Warnock guiding his team to the top, stuff like that. <laughs> you know, it's the underdogs, the whole spirit of the underdog thing, and I am wary about that Bolton match. We should win. I believe we will win, but if Villa come into that match like they're going to disrespect Bolton, same with Burton, they're gonna they they stand a chance. You know, Bolton have to pick up points this season. It's uh, it'll be very irregular for them to not pick up points this season or a win. You know, they're not going to go the whole season without winning a game. And if they do, that would be, a, you know, the dodgiest miracle of all time. Yeah, you would think someone had bet on it or something if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we mentioned politics slightly before, Jack. So do we want to speak at all about Keith Wynes and some of his comments earlier in uh, reference to the monumental day in America over in Jack's side of the pond? where NFL players seem to be really pissed off about some of the comments coming from the White House. Yeah, and I think I think deservedly so. Yeah, so if you're not in the clear well about this or you're not in the know about this, this is not me or Jack taking a political stance on anything, even though I feel like we should rightly so. I've Yeah, it's not a political rights stance. I think it's a human rights stance at this yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. It's not so over in the UK, the Jacksonville Jaguars had the pleasure of hosting the Baltimore Ravens at Wembley for the whole international series thing. Um, most of the teams took, usually, we'll go into the whole knee thing actually, Colin Kaepernick takes a knee for whatever reason, be it the treatment of African Americans by police or by officials, he took takes a knee during the national anthem because he feels that the anthem doesn't represent him anymore. So he takes an knee and get out of respect. He's not disparaging the flag. I feel that someone people are trying to pin on him. And today we saw um, Donald Trump after a rally in uh, Alabama take shots, uh, take aim at those NFL players, saying, "You know, they're highly paid prima donnas. It's a privilege. How great it would be if an owner came in on the field, grabbed his coat, and went get that son of a bitch off the field." And uh, that, the majority of NFL owners have come out attacking that. And the majority of players have come out attacking that, which is why today in London we see two teams take a knee during the national anthem of the United States. And in doing so, they actually stood up during the English national anthem, which is uh, <laughs> uh, quite the shot. 
Um, Keith Wyness, at the same time this was happening during the the whole anthem thing when the Ravens and the Jaguars were taking a knee, I'm just going to go on his Twitter so I can quote him right. He says, uh, please keep politics and politicians out of sport, which is quite hard to do, Jack. I, I mean, it's too late. The the politician has already been in the sports. This yeah. is the reaction to the, directly to that. That's how I see it. And if but the thing is, whatever, however you feel about kneeling during the national anthem or not, the point is of since there is freedom of speech, which is what the soldiers who are allegedly being disrespected fought for, is that so anyone can have a voice. Yeah, it's not like we want to go into this and attack Wyness and go, oh, shit. He's messed up here. But it's like, if you're going to bring in the politics into the sport by saying, please keep the politics out of the sport. It's like the game. If you mention it, you've already lost. If you mention the <laughs> politics in the sport, the politics are already in the sport. Yeah, yeah, precisely. It's like we, the sport didn't want the politics in. We're not putting politics in sport. You put the sport in politics. I don't know. And even then, the sport is the a, a political act. When you know we have Jesse Owens and the Black Panther salute, we have you know James McLean with the poppy. We have the poppy on the field as well. You know, yeah. We black have... black people were not allowed to play baseball until Jackie Robinson, and that was almost a hundred years after slavery had ended. I don't know how you can say that there. It's not inherently political. It always has been. Sports is political, and politics. We treat politics like sport on the other hand, you know. Why do you play? Like, why do you play the national anthem before sports that aren't international? If it's England versus USA, play both national anthems. If it's the Premier League, they don't play the national anthem. Why would they? Yeah. It's not an international fixture. In America, they play the national anthem before every game. In my opinion, for no reason, and it just gives you a chance to create things. You know, he wouldn't have kneeled during it if it wasn't played. Impossible. There's, there was a thing, in, I don't know, I'm going into it now, but a few years ago there was a thing where it came out where it was shown that the military had been giving the NFL money to have soldiers on the field before games because they wanted to, I don't know, show their power or show the jets flying over to show people that the military spends all the money. I don't, you know. Yeah, you can't, like, say that politics shouldn't be in sport. If we're allowing politics to be in sport, it's, it's, you know, it's not that politics aren't allowed in sport. It's just that either side, whatever side you're on, doesn't want to see the other politics in sport. So it's either a case of have it all or have none. And no one's going to accept it having none because that would mean removal of the stars and stripes, removal of the jets, removal of the national anthem, removal of colours, removal of everything. You know, we are in sports because of the politics. We like to see our colours. We like to see our bands. We like to band together. That's what politics is. On the other hand, Jack, you know, you have the Trump and Clinton thing or every election in the UK where it's like a sports game. You have these debates and you have the stats. You almost have XG. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. In, in these political debates of who's got the win, who's got the quality chances. It's like boxing, you know, you know they show the power punches or something. <laughs> something to comp- yeah, you, see, you see Monday Night Football with uh, Gary Neville or Jamie Carragher dissecting everything and it's almost the same studio setup in those election debates it's it's yeah exactly it's unreal. they do this wrong on the campaign trail or something I don't know you know if the people that say keep <laughs> keep politics out of sport well you know I go on Twitter to talk about sports so if people are tweeting politics that's annoying to me do I complain about it all the time no it's life is inherently intermixed yeah I mean 
<laughs> we follow sports for the narrative, I feel. We don't follow Aston Villa because they're a cool team to support. We don't follow Arsenal or whatever because <laughs> they're the cool team. We follow these teams because we have some kind of connection to them. And, you know, we have connections to or assumed connections to these political parties and politicians. So it's always inherently going to be political. You know, we're divided into away support, home support. It's always us and them. And it's always that political attitude. So the problem we've got now is people saying keep politics out of sports, but that's too, it's far, far, far too late for that. It's too late. What are you done, man? <laughs> we should have had a planet, planet sports and planet politics, but we all live on the earth and we can't destroy the earth because otherwise we'll have nowhere to talk about sports or politics. Yeah, and even then, I mean, if you see loads of African-American football players take a knee because they feel that the flag doesn't represent them anymore, and your first thought is... Oh, or a, oh god not again they're at it again that type of feeling i think that's that's wrong that's you know yeah yeah just regardless of what your color is i feel that you should be allowed to you know if you're not happy with your deal that's the whole thing that these you know western countries are built on that for basis of capitalism if the consumer is not happy with his deal he has every right to complain about it and you know yeah, and the customer the customer is always right right that's yeah, exactly what it is. And I know that's a bit of a light-hearted, you know, we're going a bit light-hearted about something that's very real, but it is, I don't know how to process it, to be honest, when people are saying, keep it out, and then, you know, in two weeks, we'll have the poppy on the field. I just don't get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So It's, it's funny, it's it's just funny, you you can pick your issues or whatever, but there's, there's some things that don't change, and that's, you can't separate these two things completely. Maybe Keith Weiner should stick to the sports, Jack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I usually just try to because I don't like those conversations. But yeah, definitely. Stick to, I'll stick to complaining about Villa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we can all band around Aston Villa and the fact that if they're shit, we have someone to blame, and that is maybe keep the whiness out of Villa if things <laughs> if things go down the pan. Oh man. Yeah, I hope. Uh... I hope Bruce can keep the football in Villa. <laughs> keep the Aston Villa in the Premier League, maybe, would be a good one. Anything but keep the politics out of uh, sports or the politicians out of sports. Because they're always going to be involved. But yeah, Jack, I feel that is enough from us today. Yeah, yeah, I think so. One, the only thing I didn't mention, and it's I just, I'm just seeing it on the table, Sunderland, Sunderland in 22nd. I, I hope we can somehow send Sunderland down or, or something. I don't know. That's, that's just a crazy, not necessarily, but it, that's a crazy one to follow. Yeah, definitely. Um, Birmingham, Sunderland and Bolton are bottom, and uh, we'll join you after that Bolton game on Sunday. Uh, I'll be here with another guest, whomever it may be. Actually, five, five of the bottom six teams' names start with a B. That's quite the coincidence yeah well hopefully um their relegation won't be decided on alphabetical order because i think that is one of the criteria that we'll get to eventually oh man i'm i'm glad to be a villa fan if that's the case <laughs> yeah stay up on that a stay up on that a um but yeah jack i'm very happy to have you back on the Holtcast, and i hope you can join us in future yeah yeah thank you so much for having me on and um all the best for for all our listeners at 7500 to hold thanks guys 
Yeah, no matter who you are, thank you very much for listening to the Holtcast this uh, this week. We'll join you after the Bolton game next week. And as always, any feedback is appreciated. Probably don't direct it all at Jack Sway because he won't be around for that much during the week. So if you've got any hassle, I'm happy to take it on, especially after such a an episode where we've discussed certain topics that might be considered a bit not in your usual football podcast. But yeah, um, I'm at Jamo Russian on Twitter. And where can people find you, Jack? Uh, yeah, I'm at Jack Grimsey, J-A-C-K-G-R-I-M-S-E on Twitter or on Facebook. So yeah, either either way, send me, send me the feedback. Yeah, well, Jack's got that locked down and hopefully Villa have six points locked down by the time we return. You can catch us on Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, anywhere you find good podcasts. And hopefully this is one of your good podcasts. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye.